Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Okay, good morning, church. And, uh, well, I'm glad it's for the last time that we're here on Zoom. And um, we probably could have come together today, but just from some technical aspects, we um, have postponed it to next week. But uh, thank God that we can come together. And above all things, we can worship and we can hear the word of God. And those two are so critical at this point in time. And so I want to share a word this morning that's going to be a two-part series actually um as it turned out and so i'll explain that in a moment but um there's a lot of things that are going on around us that uh that i'm seeing and i have to be honest i don't like that's just putting it nicely and putting it bluntly and so as i observe what's going on in the world around us, as I observe what's going on with us as a nation, as I observe what's going on with us specifically here, even in Victoria, there's a lot of things that concern me. There's a lot of things that, um, um, uh, that you can become annoyed at. There's a lot of things that you become agitated about. Um, In some instances, uh, some things can even uh, trigger you to get a little bit angry. That doesn't mean you get, we sin. It just means that, you know, they're, they are, they're not right. But um, as I see these things and my mind is drawn to them, uh, I recall the words in scripture in which it says, I walk by faith, not by sight. And so it's very easy to, um, to look at those things that are going on in front of us to uh, not uh, measure those things by the greater picture of what's going on in the Bible and what the Bible speaks. And so um, as I read my Bible, as I pray and seek God, I quickly realize how important it is that we focus on not what I can see, but what I can't see, because they are the things that are eternally important. It's not the things that I can see, as significant as they may be, but what uh, I can't see, and that's why the title of this particular series, this two-part series, really, is just called Seeing the Invisible. Seeing the Invisible. And so, obviously, this thought comes from Second Corinthians in chapter 4, where Paul the Apostle uh, makes it. But this is not our text. Actually, I'm going to read it, but that's not our text. Our text is actually in Hebrews 12. So you can find that in your Bible. But I want to read just in 2 Corinthians because Paul captures it here. And I want to use this as a bit of a launching pad as to what I want to speak about in the next two weeks. Um, But he says in chapter 4, verse 16, Paul writes, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, 
but the things which are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they are eternal. And so how true are these words this morning? And so I want to take the principle of what Paul talks about here, and I want to take that principle and I want to insert it as a matter of principle and truth into the book of Hebrews because that which we're going to consider uh, is exactly based on that principle, seeing the invisible, understanding those things that are eternal and not seeing just what's happening in front of us, not being short-sighted, but rather seeing the big picture and the present as it is and the reality of that which is to come. And so uh, as we take that truth and we apply it into the book of Hebrews, when we talk about the book of Hebrews, there's a number of key themes that come to mind. And obviously the first one of those is faith. We all are aware of Hebrews 11, which deals with this, uh, the faith of our forefathers, the faith of those uh, before Christ who uh, were, were faithful to God, who were building their lives upon the promises and upon the reality of God's plan and his purpose. And the Bible makes it clear that they saw the invisible in the literal sense. They, they died in faith. In actual fact, you don't have to read it, but in, in, uh, in, a, in verse 14, because we're at uh, Hebrews 12, in verse 14, it says, For those who say such things, they, they confessed what they believed and what they were looking for and what they were waiting for. They declared plainly that they were seeking a homeland. And it goes on to say that they were they they, they were seeking a homeland, a in verse sixteen, a heavenly country, something better. In actual fact, it says a city prepared by God for them, and it's not just for them; it is for us, as we will see as we go through this. But you see, this is those that died in faith. This is those that saw not that that which was in front of them, but that which was temporal, but they saw the invisible. They saw the unseen. And it was a present reality to their lives as they lived and conducted themselves. And so we too have to understand that. Hebrews 12 builds, obviously, and comes after chapter 11, and it builds on this concept and it brings into focus that particular city, this heavenly city that God is preparing for those that love him. And so in actual fact, in chapter 12, it's referred to as the, um, the city of the living God. It's uh, referred to as the heavenly Jerusalem. These are all terms that are interchangeable. They're all emphasizing and speaking of the same thing. And it uses a metaphor. Mount Zion is referred to, not in the literal sense in Jerusalem, but rather the spiritual reality of Mount Zion, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, not the physical Jerusalem. The, and that which God has prepared, this homeland that we too are looking for, because we, are, we don't live for this world. We are not of this world. This world is not our home. We are aliens and pilgrims walking on this earth. And we need to refresh ourselves and remind ourselves of that truth. And so our text is going to be, and where we're going to read is from verse 18 of chapter 12 through to verse 29. But in saying that, and we will read it, but we're not going to focus specifically on that particular text just yet. I think it's important that I lay a bit of a foundation and establish context uh, that, that is built around that in order 
to look when we look at it specifically, which will probably be next week as we look at those words in a specific aspect. But I want to preach part one of this part two series, two part series of seeing the invisible, because the truth is, church, we must see because uh, it's then that we can walk by faith, not by sight, is seeing the invisible, seeing that which is present a present reality and that which is a future reality as the scripture will teach us. So let's read from verse 18 and we'll work through to verse 29. The Bible says, For you have not come to the mountain that can be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the uh, voice of words so that those who heard it beg that the, wo the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are, who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just man made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more, I'll shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, and that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Now there's just so much that is packed into that verse and even two weeks wouldn't even scratch the surface of its depth, to be honest. But I want to highlight some things that, uh, uh, that has been, have been written there. But first, as I said, I want to establish the context because in verse 18, there is a shift in which uh, Paul writes, he says, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched. Now, this has got to do with Sinai and it's got to do with Israel. It's got to do in contrast to the new covenant. It's got to do with contrast to the church, contrast to not that mountain that we are of Sinai, but rather Zion in which we are uh, positioned and are present at. But putting that aside, I want to establish the context first. So we're going to go back and we're going to look at various scriptures from verse uh, from chapter 11 and 12. We're going to reference to. So keep your Bibles open and you can follow with me as we uh, as we work through it. Now, remember. The, uh, Paul is writing in the book of Hebrews and uh, he's talking about he's writing to a, uh, the Jewish believers, the Hebrew Christians. 
and he's referring to the fact uh, that they are in the midst of their persecution and being uh, uh, bearing a huge reproach for embracing the Messiah and believing on Christ. And so people, there are those uh, amongst the group that uh, are wanting to turn away. So Paul is writing and he's drawing upon the fact that there is something better now that it is in the new that is compared to the old, that there's nothing to go back to. The old is finished. It's done away with. It's complete. And so he emphasizes the whole aspect of the high priesthood of Christ. He emphasizes so much that deals with the, and it's such a meaty book as Romans is, as Colm was talking about Romans before Hebrews, likewise, it's full jam packed of such spiritual truth. And so in establishing all these various type typology and truths and establish those things as they speak to us in the New Testament, the writer then moves to the fact of making some practical applications of everything that he's talking about, like Paul would do in all of his epistles, whether it was Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians. He would always deal with the doctrinal and the spiritual dimensions, and then he would take that, and rather than just leave it in the clouds, he would bring it down to a reality, to a practicality of life. And this is what's happening again in the book of Hebrews uh, as there's a shift and a focus on this aspect. And so the main principle, of course, being faith. Faith. Faith is the critical ingredient. As we endure, as we um, uh, uh, persevere in this world, and so you know, in having spoken in chapter eleven of this faith chapter of those uh, the heroes of faith, how they overcame by faith. Uh, Hebrews twelve speaks about the race of faith, um, because we are on a pilgrimage. We are uh, on a course. We are on in the race of faith, as it is referred to here in chapter 12. And so uh, we are we are encouraged uh, in verse one to run with endurance the race that is set before us to run with endurance. We need to have endurance. We need to be able to persevere. These are critical characteristics in this in the day in which we live. And in the times of we waiting patiently for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is important more than ever that we realize the need to endure, the need to persevere, whatever it is that goes on in this world and is happening around us. And they're also warned where in verse three, not to become uh, uh, um, discouraged and weary in your souls because it's a race. And, and in saying it's a race, it's not a hundred meter sprint, but it rather it is a it's a marathon. The Christian life's like a marathon. And if we're going to go the distance and if we're going to be faithful as we are called to, if we're going to hold fast as we're in, exhorted to, then surely, amen, we're going to have to uh, cast off weariness and cast off discouragement and be strengthened in faith. But there's another aspect that is brought into focus in Hebrews 12. And so talking about the race of faith, talking about faith, talking about the need of, um, of endurance and not becoming weary and discouraged in our souls. It's interesting because the, the, the writer then ref makes emphasis of what we refer to as the discipline of God, God's discipline. And so this is not something that we like to talk about or focus on or make an emphasis about. But the truth is the discipline of God is a reality to the child of God. It is inescapable. It is a, far, uh, a steadfast truth that we must uh, uh, consider. 
And that's why it is being considered in the context of things, as, uh, as, as Paul would write here. Because the truth of life is such that the Bible says that we will, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. And there's not just the aspects of tribulation, but there are the trials of life. And the trials of life are many. You only have to live life for a, a period of time and, and, and things happen. There are grievances. There's heartache. There's disappointments. There's tragedy. There are things that there's trials of life that come our way that we are thrust into and we have to process. And faith is such a key factor in that. Then there's the, the, the biblical truth about how God tests our hearts. And so um, uh, there are times in our lives where in various circumstances that the Bible says the Lord tests the heart. And so we, we, we can't avoid that. And so we're dealing with tribulation, we're dealing with trials, we're dealing with the testings of God as they come, and we're dealing with Hebrews 12 with the aspect of God's discipline for the child of God, for the believer. Why? Why? Because whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. See, no chastening uh, uh, seems pleasant. In, in actual fact, in Hebrews 12, verse 11, it says, Now no discipline seems to be joyful for the present. No one is excited about when God disciplines them. I mean, uh, it's not, uh, it, 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 rather, it says it's not joyful, but it, uh, but it is painful. That's the reality. God's discipline is painful. And yet we understand that there is a whole emphasis behind that of why God is doing what he's doing. But God is preparing us for, ultimately for our future inheritance. Think about it. He's ultimately, everything is working together for good to those who, are, who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 tells us that. And so in light of that reality, everything that God is doing and allows in our lives ultimately is preparing us for our future inheritance. The Bible talks about the fact that we are being conformed to the image of Christ. So we are being transformed uh, as well. And so these are words that we see in Scripture. And these are some of the things that are going on. But there's that aspect. Then there's the fact of, of testings, as we pointed out. James chapter 1. You can flip over the page if you're in Hebrews 12. Just flip over and you'll see James in chapter 1 says in verse number 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing you see this is important what james is saying here is that we have to be patient knowing that the testing of your faith what produces patience patience is what is being produced in the midst of trials and testings and when god is at work and even when there's discipline in our lives but he says that you have to let patience have its perfect work and that's where we fall short so many of us short circuit God's dealings with us because we lack patience, we lack endurance. We're not in, uh, persevering as God would have us to. And when, in other words, we're not trusting God. And so James says, he makes it clear that patience is, 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 uh, is critical for the perfect work that God is doing in our hearts. It was Jesus himself who said, what? By your patience 
possess your souls. See, in the last days, especially as the times that we're living in, as the labor campaigns that's going out on in the world happens more and more, we are being patient, one, and two, uh, we are possessing our souls by our patience. So patience is critical. That's the point that I'm making. And so if we start looking up on at everything that's in front of us, then we can become discouraged and frustrated and angry and annoyed and agitated to a degree that is not healthy for us and nor what God had intended. In, uh, in Hebrews 12, verse 3, Bible says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself unless you become weary and discouraged in your souls. If we're tempted to feel as though it's too, all too hard, if we're tempted to complain, if we're tempted to say, oh, why me, Lord? The Bible says these words, consider him who endured. Because when you look at Christ and you look at everything that he endured and suffered, nothing that we have to endure is com can be compared. Nothing. Christ is the ultimate example. Christ has suffered in every way. And so when we think that we might have a reason, remember this, you're not the only one. There's many, many of God's children out there uh, that can identify with you. And above all, the, the captain of our faith and the finisher of our faith, uh, Jesus Christ has experienced it, it all. So we find in verse five, of chapter 12 and have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons my son do not despise the the chastening of the lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the lord loves he, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives you see you've got to be reminded of the very fact that the whole issue of God's discipline in your life is not punitive. It's not rejection. In actual fact, it testifies to the exact opposite. The Bible says whom God loves, he disciplines and he chastises every son that he receives. The fact that you are being disciplined testifies to the fact that you belong to God. And so you must understand that because uh, uh, if you don't receive discipline, then the Bible says you're an illegitimate child. You don't belong to him. You see, it's God's children that he disciplines because he's trying to teach us. He's trying to mold us. He's trying to shape us. I mean, this is the perspective that you have to understand. Uh, I so enjoyed Colm's message last week on, on meekness. And he made a particular statement uh, in his message in which he said, the meek Christian has learned to accept the hand of God. Now think about that for a moment. The meek Christian has learned to accept the hand of God. See, this is so critical that we have to be meek. We have to be humble. We have to be patient. And so we have to allow Patience to have its perfect work. We have a, we, we, the meek Christian has learned to accept the hand of God. Lord, if this is your will, not my will, but your will be done. And we embrace it and we, we take on board and we heed that which the Lord is doing and speaking to us in our lives. And so the, the reason why the meek Christian can, has learned to accept the hand of God is because why? 
because he knows and he's convinced God loves me. I am his child. I belong to him. And so faith sees God. Faith is what brings a stabilizing factor to these instances and circumstances. Now, we must allow God to have his perfect work in us. This is what James says. You must allow uh, through patience and through the testing of your faith. He says, uh, um, let patience have its perfect work. But, and again, here in chapter 12, the writer is warning us against God not having his perfect work in us. Look at verse 12. We are exhorted, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. So in other words, uh, the writer is encouraging us that in, in God's dealings with us, let God have his way. And so this is one of the things that we are so stubborn. We're so uh, hard-hearted at times that we resist God and we don't allow him to have his perfect work. And rather, uh, rather than be healed, uh, we st things still remain dislocated in our lives and, and, um, and also we remain lame in a, in a sense. And so we must allow God to perfect that work. And one of the things that I've observed in my own life and uh, as, a, as a Christian over the course of now nearly 30 years and as a pastor over the, in ministry is how many in light of God's loving discipline go backwards and not forwards. How many in light of the fact that in, of God that he disciplines us rather than going forward, they go backwards. And this is the sad truth. It's a reality. It's, it happens. Look at verse 15 of chapter 12. It says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So, unfortunately, in the midst of God trying to have his way, what happens to us? We fail to appropriate what God is wanting to do in our lives. We short-circuit because of our own stubborn hearts, our own uh, unbelief, our own doubts. And so, therefore, we resist God. And the Bible says and warns us, be, look carefully, lest you fall short. And so many have a root of bitterness. Why, God? Ah, oh, isn't it sad to hear Christians or professing Christians over the longevity of time look back on their Christian lives and rather than say God has been good, they complain. And they say, why, Lord? And they hold God in contempt for some, something. And this is a root of bitterness that can spring up in people's hearts rather than say, you know what, I've been through some trials. I've been tested. I've been through the water, through the flames. But fear not, God was with me and he, 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 uh, he preserved me and praise be under his name. You see, it's all got to do with the issue of the heart because God's grace is present in every circumstance. We just need to appropriate it rather than become bitter. And so many fall short of the grace of God and become defiled. So many turn their back on God. So many get die in the wilderness. So many draw back. So many love this present world and forsake the Lord. But again, as Cole mentioned, the meek, he accepts the hands of God or the hand of God on his life. Let me illustrate it. Think about Job. 
Job did not understand why, what or why things were happening in his life. I mean, this guy was on, was on the mountaintop. This guy was blessed in abundance. And then in, 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 a, in a whirlwind of circumstances, he loses everything and um, even his own health. And uh, as the Lord gives him, um, uh, allows the Satan to, I mean, Job doesn't know what's going on, but as the Lord allows Satan to bring this affliction in his life, we know the story where his wife says, come on, Job, just curse God and die. The temptation, she had got, you can see a root of bitterness had taken hold of her. But Job in his, uh, uh, said, though he didn't understand everything that was going on, and he didn't, but he, he, he was able to see the invisible. He was still convinced that God was faithful and God was good. And so he would say these words, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And so that's the, the attitude of heart that we need to have. He said, naked I came into the world, naked I go out. That's the, that's the way it is. And so we can have everything one moment and have nothing the next. We have to be prepared for that. That's possibility. We're living in an age, I'm telling you, where there's things that are happening in the world that's going to make, it's going to cost us as Christians to hold fast to the truth. It's going to cost you. It means that you may, may, may have to forego certain things. You may lose things. I don't know. But I'm telling you, the seeds of what's going on in the world is, is, is evident. And so we have to be able to see the invisible. I was thinking of Israel. Israel, God takes them into the wilderness to protect them, to preserve them, to do a work in their hearts, to reveal himself to them. And what do they do? They grow bitter. They complain. And they, uh, and they disobeyed God in the wilderness. And so as a result, many of them fell in the wilderness. In actual fact, of that generation, there were only two that entered the promised land and entered into the promises of God. And they were Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. And the Bible says that they had a different spirit. They trusted God. They, they had their eyes fixed upon God. Wasn't it interesting that when the 12 spies in the book of Numbers, they went in to spy out the promised land and 10 came back with a negative report. They said, oh, my gosh, there's giants there. You don't understand. There's fortified cities. I'm telling you what I can see is scary. We are like grasshoppers in this side. And so they give a bad report to the children of Israel. And so they saw directly, but they didn't see God. They didn't see the invisible. They didn't see the power of God. And what was it? Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. And they said, no way. Don't listen to that nonsense because God has promised this. God said it's ours. Let's go in and take it because God has, has, uh, has given it to us, regardless of what's in front of us. God is greater. God God is bigger. And so can you see the spirit that we are to have this morning? It's a spirit of faith. It's not to be short-sighted. It's not to get caught up in the issues of this world. And I know there's lots of things to discuss. You know, everyone talks about the vaccine and where we're heading and all the things that are going on. And, and, and I'm not saying these things are insignificant. They are significant and we have to monitor these things, but we still have to be careful because you know what? At the end of the day, our faith is in Christ. Amen. We turn our eyes upon Jesus. We say, we look at those things and then all of a sudden it draws us back to that point where we look in faith at those things that are to come. And so we've got to be able to see the invisible this morning. 
Faith sees the hand of God. Faith sees the promises of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 13. Talking about these heroes of faith. Note these words. These all died in faith. Now think about that. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them. Now notice that they hadn't received the promises, but they had seen them. <laughs> I love those words. Now let that dawn upon us because we're talking about seeing the invisible. And so here it is. These died in faith. They hadn't even yet possessed what was theirs, according to the promise. But they had seen them afar off. And as a result of seeing them through the eyes of faith and the promises of God, the Bible says in verse 13, they were assured of them. They embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's the attitude of faith, church. When I read that, these died in faith. And the truth is, is that many today are still dying in faith until Christ's return, until the time of the resurrection. People are dying in faith. And yet, uh, uh, and we're going to look more in detail as we look at the text next week, because there's glorious truths to draw from it. But the point that I'm making now is that we need to be able to see the invisible, that we need to be assured. We need to embrace these things. We need to confess them openly to the world around us uh, because the world is bound by fear. The world is bound by, um, uh, 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 they got no idea. They think that they can con control the climate. They think that they can control a virus. This is absurd what's going on around us. But we look to Jesus. We see the invisible. Now, I want to make this point. The scripture says that they died in faith. Now, go to verse 39 and 40 of Hebrews 11. It says, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Okay? We just established that. They died in faith. But look at verse 40. God, having provided something better, for us. And so, the, again, this is all about us and drawing these things, not all about, about them too, but it's drawing it all together. And I'll point that out in a minute. But listen to this God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Okay. So, my question that they, they were waiting likewise to be made perfect. And they were not to be made perfect apart from us because you realize, church, that in Christ, as part of being born again uh, and born from above, that we have been made perfect in Christ Jesus. See, Christ's death and his resurrection, it accomplished a great, a great uh, and glorious reality that not just applies to us. So we're recipients of it in the first instance, but those who died in faith, they had to wait for the coming of the Messiah. They had to wait for the fulfillment of that plan. You see, we now looking back. So when we believe we enter into it, but you see those that before Christ, they were waiting for the fulfillment of that promised. Okay. That's why they had not received the promise then, but have they received the promise now? The question I want to put to you, have they now been made perfect? You see, it says there that they were not, in verse 40, they were not to be made perfect apart from us. But listen to those 
Go to chapter uh, 12 and verse 23. Have a look at what it says. To the general assembly, which incorporates us and them. To the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven. To God, the just of all. To the spirits of just men made perfect. The spirits of just men made perfect. This is the company of all of those who died in faith prior to Christ. Those that all died were who were waiting for the promise of the of the Messiah, for the coming of the God's redemption in which he was going to crush the serpent's head. And so here it is. They would not be perfected outside of us. And we, amen, as part of the new covenant, we now and we believe we are perfected through Christ immediately. In that sense, human righteousness being attributed and uh, being born from above and receiving the spirit of God in these things. But what a glorious truth. And so let me ask you this question. Are we perfect before God? The answer, absolutely. Do we have a perfect standing before God? Absolutely. We have been justified by faith we have been justified through his blood and so therefore having been justified that is a position it's a legal term and that is our position in christ in other words i am perfect not that i am perfect outwardly not that i'm perfect in my life anything but but in christ i stand washed i stand justified and i stand perfected in Christ this is a glorious truth but let me now ask this question are we being perfected the answer yes because now we are in the process of change and transformation but in that process where God brings discipline as we've looked at in that process where we have to endure tribulation in that process where we have to endure trials in that process god amen is working his will in us and so we must not divorce those practical aspects of perfection and divorce them from our position because we are perfect and we are being made perfect or as Colm again mentioned last week, he said, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And so we are perfect, we are being perfected, and it will be perfected, amen, when this body is redeemed at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the position that we have. Oh, there's so much more that I want to run into as I go. I could we could go into our text, but I don't want to rush into it because time doesn't allow us to consider these things. But you see, it's uh, in Christ. There is a glorious truth for us to see. For example, uh, in um, Ephesians chapter two, verse six, it tells us that we have been raised up together and made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I mean, I look at that. And I think, well, wait a minute, I'm just sitting on my desk, <laughs> sitting on this chair at my desk. What do you mean I'm, si I'm seated in heavenly places? You see, because there is a duality to the Christian life. There's the spiritual and there's the, the natural. And the natural may be as it is, but there is a spiritual reality that is present that stands now. And that is what the text from verse 18 onwards is going to show us. But more than that, you must realize that you can see or you must see the invisible now. 
what is my present circumstance physically as it relates to the world is only one dimensional. You must see the spiritual and your eyes must be open to those realities. That I'm seated in heavenly places. This is based upon only upon seeing the invisible. You can only have such a revelation and an understanding if you can see and understand the spiritual. That is why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4, and I, uh, let me read it again to reiterate what we said at the beginning, because Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's read it again. It's good to be reminded. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing. I couldn't help but, um, Rono, if I could just refer to you before we were having prayer and we came on Zoom and Rona said, oh, Ella was talking to her and she said, oh, I just I need to go get my hearing aids. And I just realized, you know, we're all getting older. And, uh, you know, the body, the outward man is perishing. The outward man is getting older. But yet the scripture says inwardly. Now listen to this. Inwardly, the, we be, the inward man is being renewed day by day. For verse 17, our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. See, all of these things, is everything that's going on is for that which is to come. And we don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so I say all of that this morning, church, to emphasize the background because in verse 18, Paul will make the point that we have not come to Mount Zion. See, to make this point that we are in Christ and what that means, that we understand that in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of God's testings, in the midst of God's discipline, that we are loved, that we are his children, that he has a plan for us. And so it's in light of those truths that we can be assured, we can embrace whatever it is that comes our way, whatever it is that goes on around us, we'll embrace it because we're going to confess, listen, I'm not of this world. We are aliens. That's what the scripture says. We are pilgrims and strangers on the earth. And truly we are. I mean, they saw they were talking about aliens the other day on the on the TV in the world. Well, you know what? They are. There's plenty of us. We're Christians. <laughs> we're aliens. We're pilgrims upon the earth. And that's what the scripture says. They look at us and they can't understand. But we've come to Mount Zion Church. And I want to bring that contrast next week. I want to hold back from from going further into the text and save it for next week. But I just wanted to lay this foundation. I just wanted to touch upon these truths because we're going to understand a reality that is now, not just future. Look at verse 22. I'll make the point again, but you can meditate upon this. He says in verse 22 of chapter 12, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God. Oh, there's just so much there that is to be considered. 
but it's speaking of where we're at now, not where we will be at the future. And if we can understand and embrace that which is now, knowing that it's coming, then we will be able to stand firm because this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And so since we are surrounded in verse 1 of chapter 12, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there are those that have gone before us. There are those that have suffered much more. You know, we talk about faith in, in, in the modern world today, and they talk about it in terms of what they can get from God. When you read this, this chapter of, of Hebrews 11, you see a people that suffered, a people that endured. That, I mean, they were stoned, they were torn, a sawn in two. I mean, they were slain with the sword. I mean, listen to what happened to these individuals. But again, there's nothing there that's compared to what our Saviour suffered. And so we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And so it's it, we're, we're, as, as in this race of faith, it's our turn now. It's our turn to live the victorious life. It's our turn to stand up and embrace and confess and to be assured of these things. And like those that have gone before us, we too must uphold the same testimony, the same truth and the same reality. And to do that, we're going to have to see the invisible. You're going to have to hear the heavenly voice. We have to endure unto the end and i want to close just with one last reading of scripture and it's found in the book of hebrews chapter 10 and you can go back a few pages and see it in verse 34 we'll start from verse 34 but here it is this is what we're exhorted to paul writes and he says for you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods because they suffered deeply knowing that you have a better and endure possession for yourselves in, in heaven. So do you know that? That you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Verse 35, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. For now, verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And that is us. We're not of those who draw back. We're going to press on. We're going to let patience have its perfect work. James says that we're going to need patience, even in terms of the, of the second coming of Christ and his, his return. Yes, he's going to rescue us. Yes, we're going to be saved from the wrath to come. But who knows what kind of tribulation and trials we're going to have to endure. And so that's why James, at the end of his epistle, not in my notes here, but I'll read it to you. He makes a reference and he says, um, um, uh, again, chapter 5, verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for the, um, for the, um, until he receives the, um, the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
Glory to God. See the invisible church. May God bless you this morning. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, God, for the inheritance that is ours. We are not at Mount Sinai, but we are at Mount Zion. We are, Lord, part of the General Assembly, the church of the firstborn. Lord, we are partakers of a heavenly city. Lord, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, all of these things speak of one thing, God. Those things that you've prepared for those that love you, those that will wait patiently, those that will endure, those that will hold fast in faith and not cast away their confidence, they will receive the reward. Lord, we pray that we are those and we will bear testimony to that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.